Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. From this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Um, we have three children, and when our three children were born, each of them, uh, Marianne and I, gave them a, a psalm. And uh, Ainsley is our middle daughter. This is Ainsley's psalm, Psalm 121. And we chose this psalm for Ainsley because this is a psalm about God taking care of his people. God cares for us. And we wanted Ainsley to know how much God loves her and cares for her. And uh, Christians throughout history, even outside of the Evans family, have used this psalm in just such a way. David Livingstone is another example. He was a missionary in the 19th century from England. He was a famous missionary. He was also an explorer and an abolitionist. And he's famous for multiple expeditions that he took through Africa and through his very strong desire to see the slave trade abolished in the UK in the 19th century and to see Africans come to know Jesus Christ. And and in Livingstone's era, Africa, which was known as the Dark continent was obviously much less well-known than it is now. And uh, before the first trip Livingstone took to Africa, his mom gathered the family around him and, and they prayed over him. And she prayed this Psalm, Psalm 121. And she would write him regularly and tell him as he was traveling throughout Africa, that Psalm 121 was always on her mind as she thought about him and as she prayed for him. Ainsley's story and Livingstone's story and many other stories from history tell us how Psalm 21 can be a, 121, excuse me, can be a source of comfort. Do you need some comfort today? What's going on in your life that makes you feel afraid? What's going on in your life that has you worried? What's riddling you with anxiety? Listen, listen to God's word. This psalm is comforting because it's a psalm about God's protection. This is actually the second of sort of a, a, a mini album within the larger song book that we call the Psalms. The Psalms of Ascent are a collection of 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And uh, you'll notice it there at the very top of the psalm. These were songs that were almost certainly sung by the ancient people of Israel as they would travel from their homes to Jerusalem for one of the three annual festivals that the Hebrews would attend together in worship each year. So you can imagine, I think, uh, an Israelite family walking towards the city of Jerusalem and then finally seeing the rolling hills that surround Jerusalem and beginning to sing together this song, I live up my eyes to the hills. The main idea of this psalm is that the Lord will keep his people. 
The Lord will keep his people. Let me show you how the psalmist tells us that in three different ways. Three things he tells us about God, our keeper. First, the psalm teaches that God is a powerful keeper. A powerful keeper. Look at how it begins. The writer looks up to the hills and wonders out loud in verse 1, from where does my help come? So why does he look to the hills? That's one of the interesting things about this psalm. Some people who have written commentary on Psalm 121 will say that the hills were a source of threat. And so looking to the hills is something that made people feel fear and therefore they asked God for help. Others say that the hills were a source of security. And when you look to the hills, you're reminded that you're protected and provided for. I think probably the second of those two options is what the psalmist has in mind here because, as I just mentioned, the city of Jerusalem, where the Israelites would have been traveling to, is surrounded, even to this day, by large hills. And it was really their only defense against attack. And so the psalmist looks at the hills around Jerusalem, and that causes him to think about where his protection, where his help, where his keeping is coming from. It comes not from the hills themselves, but from the maker of the hills. The hills are just the visible picture this psalm gives to remind us of God's ongoing care. Think about how this is another example, which the Psalms show us all the time, of the deep humanity of the Psalms. If you're ever tempted to believe the Bible is irrelevant to your life, you should read the Psalms for a while. Is there a more human question than this one? Where is my help going to come from? I am in need. That's got to be one of the most common thoughts to flash in our minds. Think with me. Just take a minute. Let's do an experiment together internally. Think about your life right now and ask yourself, in what area of my life am I most in need of help? Maybe you have a relationship that is fracturing and you're not sure what to do about it. Maybe it's a significant relationship in your life. Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's a relationship with one of your children. Maybe it's a relationship with one of your parents. It seems to be going off the rails and you don't know what to do. And when you think about it, you think, I need help here. I'm at a loss. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, which I know some of you are. And you're often asking, how am I going to make it at home with all these lovely, adorable, wonderful kids? Um, and all of the challenges that that life can present. Maybe your mind goes to your work. How am I going to accomplish what is being asked of me? Maybe you're asking it because your life is in a transition and you don't know what your future holds exactly. What is going to happen to me? I need help. Maybe you're asking that question, where do I need help the most? And and your mind goes to some particular form of suffering or hardship that you're undergoing. Maybe you've recently spent time in a hospital bed or in a therapy session. Maybe you're dealing with infertility or loneliness and you're telling yourself, I can't handle this. This is too hard. I'm worn out. Who's going to help me? There's no more human question than this one. And that's why this psalm is so comforting. It gives a resounding 
answer for people who are asking for help. My help comes from the Lord. Verse 2, who made heaven and earth. God is our help. And here he focuses on the power of God. God is the creator. He made heaven and earth. And because God made the heavens and the earth, we can be confident that he's powerful enough and mighty enough to help us. Our king is able to help because he made Everything from the deeps of the ocean to the reaches of space, God holds them all between his forefinger and his thumb. This week I was on a walk with my wife and and my dog and you ever had this happen where there was a little pebble stuck in my right shoe and I had to stop. It was driving me crazy. It was actually quite painful. And I pulled the pebble out and it was so tiny that I could barely see it right here, but it was interfering with my entire walk. That pebble is about how God can hold the universe. It is no big thing for him to control everything that we see and even the many things that we don't see because he is that powerful. The psalmist is saying God alone is all-sufficient and God alone is able to help. Notice that he also uses the name of God here. He says, my help is in the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. That name, the Lord, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God, the personal name of God. And God tells us in Exodus that it means I am who I am. It implies the name that God is self-sufficient, that he is eternal, that his power is incomprehensible. It's the name that God gives us to know him by. It's a name of power. And it's very interesting to me, the first time we see that name really start to crop up in the Bible is in the story of Exodus, when God shows up to Moses as a burning bush, but the bush is not consumed by the flame. And the situation that Moses finds himself in, in just that moment, is that God has asked him to do something that he thinks is way beyond his capacity to do. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses feels a deep need For someone to help him through a situation that he can't handle on his own. And it's in just that moment that God says, I am who I am. The Lord is with you. So this psalm is a portrait for how reflecting on the character of God, how thinking about who God is, how using the doctrine of God can comfort us practically in times of and fear. Listen, to get the help that we need, we have to learn how to take our knowledge about God and transfer that into the knowing of God relationally in the moment where we feel need. You have to let to learn to let your, your head, what you know to be true, minister to your heart and even to your body when you need to feel like that's true. So how do we do that? Listen to what J.I. Packer, the great theologian, put, puts it in, in his book, Knowing God. He wrote this. How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God 
The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. I find that so instructive. The psalm is teaching us here that we should take time to filter through our fears and our worries before God and then believe the promises of God, tell them to ourselves and fight to believe it. It's crucial stuff here. God tells us he's a powerful keeper. The second thing he tells us is that he's a vigilant keeper. Do you notice that word keep in either noun or verb form? in verses 3 through 8, is used six times. And that level of repetition in Old Testament poetry is there to highlight. It's there to emphasize. So the point the psalmist is making is that God is vigilant. God is vigorous in his commitment to watch over us. He is committed to caring for you. Uh, The Super Bowl was last week. I don't know if any of you knew that. Uh, More importantly, Taylor Swift was there. And um, after the game ended, I saw this afterwards. Taylor Swift, it's really annoying at this point. Can we be honest? Uh, Went onto the field because she can't stay out of the limelight. Sorry. And um, and, uh, as she's on the field looking for her boyfriend, I can't remember his name. uh, She's just surrounded by these gigantic security guards. She's got a convoy following her and serving her as she makes her way to um, the boyfriend that I can't remember his name. And, and it's just a, a picture of how well protected someone that famous is. It's the exact picture, to be honest, that the psalmist wants to paint for how well protected you are if you are in Christ. God is the bodyguard. God is the convoy of his people. And verse 3 tells us, God will not let your foot be moved. Now remember, we saw these psalms were psalms that people would sing together as they were walking, as they were hiking into Jerusalem. So the idea of slipping made a lot of sense given the context. But that image of our feet slipping I think it's such an appropriate metaphor for what it means to try to be a Christian so often. I mean, how often, if we're honest, do we slip in our spiritual lives, in our attempts to follow Jesus, in our attempts to be faithful people? The paths of life are dangerous and perilous. Sin can cause us to slip. Temptation can cause us to slip. The evil one and the powers and principalities of this present darkness that seek to make us stumble, those can cause us to to slip. There's all sorts of adversaries that are standing against us that want us to fall. But here we have promised preservation from God, our keeper. He will not let your foot be moved. You know what? This is actually a great test case for what you think Christianity is really all about. When you mess up, there's really two reactions that human beings have. One reaction is the way of religion, which says, religion says, I must be or do or act in this way so that God will love me. And if your mindset is operating in the way of religion, which is the de facto mindset of all human beings, 
then when you mess up, you're afraid of God. You want to run away from God. You want to hide from God. Incidentally, that's exactly what our first parents did in the garden when they messed up, wasn't it? The other alternative, though, is the way of the gospel, which says when we slip up and when we fail, we can believe that our works and our righteousness and our activity is not what grounds our standing before God. And hiding from God, we can go to God. When you feel like you're in trouble, when you've made a mess of things, how does God enter your mind? Is he like, is he like a traffic cop waiting to get you in a speed trap? Or is he Abba Father? I saw on Twitter a few weeks ago, um, when you get in trouble or mess up, uh, how do you think about your dad? Do you think, oh no, my dad can't find out? Or do you think, I better call my dad? The way of the gospel, because we believe that God cares for his people and loves his people, says that even when we slip, we can go to God because he is for us. Verse 4 gives us another image to teach us that God is vigilant. He won't let our feet slip. And then we read that he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I love that phrase. Think about how easy it is for us to fall asleep when we're supposed to be vigilant. When our kids were very little... Um, you know, we weren't getting much sleep at night. We had, uh, our first two kids are about 13 months apart. And I remember when Nate was about a year and a half old and Ainsley was about what she would have been five months old. I know we didn't plan it that way. Um, Marianne and I weren't sleeping much at night. And so we would take turns. One of us would watch the kids and the other would go take a nap, maybe on a Friday or on a Saturday. And so of course, when it's my turn to watch the kids, I would lay on the couch and, uh, watch the kids and then I would fall asleep, of course. Even though it wasn't my turn, I would still fall asleep. And, and Marianne would come out and, and find me, you know, lightly napping. That's all. Lightly napping. And uh, she would say, Luke, very gently, it's time for you to wake up. And you've already used your turn. You don't get to go take a nap now. It's so easy for us to fall asleep, to, to get drowsy, and to not be attentive. Which is why the psalmist says God is never like that. Listen to what Albert Barnes, an older Christian commentator, writes. He says, A sentinel may slumber on his post by inattention, by long-continued wakefulness, or by weariness. A pilot may slumber at the helm. Even a mother may fall asleep by the side of a sick child. But God is never exhausted, is never weary, and is never inattentive. He never closes his eyes on the condition of his people. God's eyelids never droop. He's always, always, always keeping watch over us in the day and in the night. And so we can go through life with a resonant and profound peace if we're his children. There's a great proverb uh, about a Middle Eastern woman who uh, was robbed in her home while she was sleeping. And the woman went to the sultan uh, to ask for recompense for her loss. And the sultan said, why, why did you fall asleep? And the woman answered, I fell asleep because I believed you were awake. And the sultan was so pleased by the answer that he ordered her losses to be repaid. The, the point is that we can rest because we know that God is restlessly watching over us.
He's a powerful keeper. He's a vigilant keeper. And we see finally that he's a constant keeper. Look at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. These verses tell us that God is near to us. He is always present. The, The infinite Lord of all things has become for us in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. To use theological language, the transcendent God has become imminent in Jesus. He has condescended. He has come close. He has moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson put it. The Psalms telling us that God is so close to us in his watchful care that your shade, he is your shade on your right hand. I played basketball in high school, not very well, which is why my coach was very fond of telling me, I want you to be so close to the man you're guarding that you can tell what kind of deodorant he's wearing. And usually it was no deodorant, by the way, uh, in high school basketball games. And uh, he would yell from the bench, shade him, Luke, shade him, be his shadow. Stick with him. Stay close. Don't let him out of your sight. God shadows us. He follows us wherever we go. He's a shield before us and he always guards us. I want to read this famous quote from St. Patrick, fifth century Christian Benedictine and a monk and missionary. And he had this inscribed on his breastplate. He says it this way, I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and near. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. This verse also recalls really one of the great promises of the new covenant. God has fulfilled this promise to be our keeper, to be our shade through giving us, through pouring out on us the Holy Spirit which is why Jesus is able to tell his people, it's going to be better for you after I'm gone. The reason Jesus can say that is because the comforter, his spirit has come. And through the ministry of the spirit, we have assurance of Christ's constant keeping grace. Verse six tells us God is with us always protecting us from the perils of the heat, from the fears of the dark. He's with us when we lie down. He's with us when we wake up. He's with us when we drive. He's with us when we eat. He's with us when we play and when we work, when we cry and when we laugh. He's with you when you're online. He's with you when you're on a business trip. He's with you when you're on an airplane. He's with you in a traffic jam. He's with you when you struggle, when you're hurting, when you're heartbroken, when you're sick. He's always with you. If that's true, you might ask, why can life still be so hard, right? Why do I still experience evil? Why do I still suffer? 
And listen, my friends, that's a great question that I don't pretend to have a perfect answer to. But the scriptures certainly teach us that God does not keep us from suffering, but he does keep us through suffering. And suffering very often is a by which God keeps us. Authors in the New Testament, like Peter and James and Paul, all say that suffering is a way God refines us and prepares us for life here and for life eternal. He actually grows us through suffering. So suffering, if you're experiencing it right now, is not a sign that God has no longer decided, has decided to no longer keep you. It's actually a sign that he knows how best to keep you and take care of you. And that he might just be exposing you to enough suffering and pain that will ultimately be for your good. Like a physician inserting an antibiotic or a craftsman exposing a blade to a flame. They give just enough for the good of their object. And God is the same way. He leads us and keeps us through the valley of the shadow of death, as another psalm tells us. The psalmist wraps up there in verse 7 and 8 with doing away with the imagery and and simply summing it up in, in really the most expansive way possible. Look at what he says. He will keep us from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and coming in. And he will keep us from this time forth forever. The language includes everything and excludes nothing. There's no situation or circumstance that the Christian is ever in where God does not constantly go with him or her. That's why the author of Hebrews can tell us that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13 verse 5. That's why Jesus himself said right before he ascended into heaven, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's why Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Indeed, this psalm is finally and fully answered in Jesus himself. In other words, the way that God keeps our life is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said that all who come to him, he will receive and he will never cast any out. Jesus said that he will not lose any of his sheep, and that nothing can pluck them from his hand. Jesus is our powerful keeper. Jesus is our vigilant keeper. Jesus is our constant keeper. Jesus is our shade, our protection, both day and night. And so the psalmist beckons us spawned by putting our trust again in Jesus. He wants us to be able to sing this psalm, or maybe in my case, say this psalm instead of singing it to myself, believing that it is true as I come to Jesus, opening myself up to him in my areas of need and admitting and resting in his trust. Can we just close this morning the sermon by just doing an exercise together? I want you to just, just, let's just do this one, two minutes. I want you, let's all close our eyes if you're willing to participate. And I want you to, again, allow yourself to feel where you need help. Think about it. Feel how your body responds to the fear or the anxiety or the doubt or the worry that creeps in. And I want you, as you're feeling that, to invite Jesus to come be our helper, 
in just that space. And I want you to envision him coming and embracing you and putting his healing hand in whatever part of your life is causing you dread. Just meditate on that for a minute. And as we're believing here, that Jesus knows those things that are causing us fear, that Jesus knows those things that are causing us anxiety, that Jesus knows exactly what's worrying us. Let's now act in faith and tell ourselves that we can trust him and transfer our reliance for how we're going to solve these problems off of our shoulders and let's put them on his shoulders. Give those things to him. Give the fear to him and the worry to him. Give the doubt to him and the anxiety to him. Ask him to be gentle and lowly for you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Jesus, thank you that you came to be our keeper. Help us to believe this good word. Help us to experience in reality that you're never going to leave us, that you're never going to forsake us, that when we are feeling afraid or worried, you are our shade at our right hand. We pray that you would enable us in faith not to frantically try to repair or fix whatever is causing us fear, but rather to allow you to be our shepherd, that we would rest in you and trust in you, that we would act in faith and in reliance instead of self-sufficiency. Will you help us in this? It's so challenging for us so often. So we pray that even as we go into this week, you would draw near to us, reminding us that you're a helping, keeping, comforting God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.